This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code real simple at checkout to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to I Want to Like You, a weekly podcast from Real Simple about how to handle the irritating people in your life with goodwill and grace. I'm Kristen Van Ogtrup. I'm the editor of Real Simple. And with me today is Susan Krauss Whitbourne, who is a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and has been a lovely guest on this podcast in the past. Hi, Susan. Hi, Kristen. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for coming back, particularly on such a beautiful day because, you know, we could all like cut class and go outside, but instead we're going to talk about self-doubters. So, Susan, as you know, I feel like I need a little bit of extra help with self-doubters. This is a topic that was a category of irritating people that was suggested by a listener. And I have doubt, maybe it's self-doubt, you can tell me, that this is even an irritating person. Can you talk a little bit about self-doubt in a person and and? how you would define it? Is it like the opposite of confidence? I think it is the opposite of confidence, but there's a a little dose of obsessionism thrown into the mix. So it's, it's not only that you're not sure of yourself, it's that you can't commit to a position and you're constantly going back and forth on your initial decision or inclination. But not if you're a politician, right? Like, oh, no, because then you'd be a flip-flopper. <laughs> so, okay, so a self-doubter, though, is not a flip-flopper. So what's the difference? Well, a flip-flopper is somebody who changes position. And we got into the politician end of this, but and a self-doubter is somebody who's always questioning and wondering about whether what they're deciding to do is really going to work. Mm-hmm. And they want to undo what they've done almost as soon as they've started it. And would you say that self-doubters, are they born or made? Well, I, I, I tend to be biased in thinking most people are made, not born. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the nurture side of the equation. because, uh, And especially when it comes to something like self-esteem, self-confidence, sense of self, these are so strongly socialized into us. Mm-hmm. And we're very much shaped by our early experiences and and really all the way up through adolescence, I would say, in having a sense of being able to rely on yourself and your judgments. Mm -hmm. How is a parent, like how does a person become more of a self-doubter? What is is his family, peer group, et cetera, doing to him to make him that way then or to? Yes, yes. I Well, they call it the kind of the term that's been used in the past is conditions of worth, which is a old, old term from back in the Rogerian therapy, if the client-centered therapy, the idea is that parents need to provide their kids with the feeling that you're okay no matter what you do, now within boundaries. Mm-hmm. But if you feel that your your worth, that's the work, condition of worth, is dependent on your parents' approval, you're constantly going to be second-guessing yourself because you want to make sure that what you're doing is going to meet with their approval. And it's even worse if you're not sure what those criteria exactly are. Oh, that's sound, that, okay, that sounds, as a parent and a daughter, that sounds so hard. It's easier than you think. 
It is. Like, yes. can you? Is there anything specific you can add to that that make it makes it sound like a more real life, achievable thing? <laughs> it, it's very achievable, and I'm sure you do it as a parent all the time. You probably don't realize it, but it's when you say. I like what you did, or I, I, I like what you've drawn, I like the picture you've made, or I don't like what you did, or I don't like the way you grabbed that crayon from your sister, mm-hmm. as opposed to you're an inadequate person, you're a bad person, you're selfish, you're you're stupid, you're you, all the things that you don't have, and then it goes directly into your qualities as opposed oh. to your behavior. Got and, it. And yeah. I think a lot of parents know this now is to talk about the behavior, not the child, whether it's good or bad. Right, right. I do feel like that. Um, I don't know what book I picked that up from, whether it was like what to expect in the toddler years or some something that I, you know, many moms and dads read when the kids are little. I do feel like that was hammered into me. You know, you don't say you are a little jerk. (laughs) You say you're behaving like a jerk. And maybe you don't even say that. But frankly, as you get older, I think I have found myself saying things like you're behaving like a jerk. (laughs) Well, and yeah, I mean, that that, as long as the basis has been set, you can you can deviate from that once in a while. You don't have to sit there all the time. Then you're doubt yourself as a parent, which is just as bad. Okay, so let's talk about. So I do wonder, I have, there's a person in my life who's, a, who's related to me, who shall remain nameless, who seems to have no self-doubt. Now, I guess seems is the operative word maybe in that sentence, but he just, you get into a conversation with him about anything, and he is so full of facts and opinions and information that sometimes you know is, is completely wrong. Right. He's one yes. of those people who just like goes on and on and on. And then every once in a while you, th- you think in your head, OK, I happen to know what that thing he just said is totally not true. And then you wonder, do I tell him it's not true or do I just let him keep going? So, you know, someone like that seems to have no self-doubt. Like is, is self – how important is some element of self-doubt in, you know, in being kind of a well-adjusted human being? Well, I think it makes you a lot more lovable if you at least show some self-doubt, even if you don't have any, because you're saying, <laughs> so you're saying well, <laughs> I see it this way, or this is what I think, or I don't know if you've considered this. And, and again, that's maybe a little bit hackneyed psychology, putting things in I statements, but, but it actually carries some weight when you're able to show that you're not so rock solid on something that you're not willing to consider any alternative. It's really important to express even though they may be facts, facts that if they differ from somebody else's, you're able to contextualize them. Mm-hmm. I had on my podcast last week, I had a professor from Colby College. Actually, he was a philosophy professor. And the topic was argumentative people. And he gave this great tip for how to basically disagree with someone without conceding your position. So, you know, you say things like, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. You know, now, this is taking us away from self-doubt a little bit. But, you know, if you want to sort of fake self-doubt, <laughs> maybe you could right, do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's why I said it makes you a lot more lovable because you're not looking like this kind of overbearing, overly assertive person who is just not going to listen to anybody. And, and if you say you're going to listen to somebody, I would follow that up with you 
ought to listen to them because you know what? You could be completely wrong. And so it's much better to express yourself in not totally tentatively, but at least some qualification or some leave the door open a little bit for somebody else to disagree. I talk about my teenagers a lot in this Irritating People podcast (laughs) for reasons that may may seem obvious to other parents of teenagers. And, you know, they actually are only irritating sometimes, and they do a lot with and for their mother. But one thing I know they would never do for me, no matter how much I twisted their arms, is to design a website for me. So I know there will come a day in probably the not-too-distant future when I'm going to have to build my own website And I know with great certainty that I'm going to do that by using Squarespace. From everything I hear, Squarespace is incredibly easy to use, even for a Luddite mom like me. The sites look professionally designed, even if you have no skill in getting them there, which would describe me. And you don't need to know how to code, which I definitely don't. And the tools that you use to build your site are intuitive and super easy to use. So not only that, but if you decide that you want to use Squarespace, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year now. So if you want to start your free trial site, go to squarespace.com. And if you decide to sign up at Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code REALSIMPLE, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Okay, so Susan, let's talk a little bit about how we how one relates to self-doubt. So we we've been talking about kind of where self-doubt comes from, what it looks like, but let me ask your personal opinion, not your your opinion as a professor. You know, do you find self-doubt in other people irritating? My personal <laughs> Well, let's let's put it this way. If you want somebody to make up their minds and they're not making up their minds and you're in a hurry, it is absolutely irritating mm-hmm. psychologist or or whatever it just we have to go all right you have to pick one one yeah. or the other red or blue hot dog or hamburger and and they go back and forth and back and forth and it it, it is irritating I think the way you handle that is to think of the times that you've been plagued by self-doubt as well but in the moment it can be very difficult so self-doubt it sounds to me as if Self-doubt is really, really linked to inability to make decisions. It is, yes. But it's the, the fear of making the wrong decision. Right. Nobody's afraid of making the right decision. So it's always going to be some mistake you're going to make because if you make a mistake, uh, somebody's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks and say how stupid you are <laughs> or, or how whatever you are is, but whatever that term is your, that your parents used to call you. And so it's that fear of criticism that I think underlies self-doubt. Okay, so we did an article in Real Simple. This is now going back years about decision-making. And I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna know what I'm about to say because I'm and I'm gonna need you to correct me because I think I'm gonna get part of it wrong. So there were two kinds of decision makers, maximizers, and I think the word might have been satisficers. Is oh, that a thing, yeah. or is it? You think the word's gonna be satisfier, but I actually think it was satisficer. Is that possible? Settling for good enough. Yeah, totally. Like. You really, I mean, so I'm in the second category because I kind of want to go to a restaurant that has five things on the menu and I want to pick one, you know, whereas the maximizer wants to maybe have, you know, 30 things on the menu and they're really going to think, 
for a long time about which of those 30 things to have. So I happen to be married to a maximizer. And we laugh about it until we stop laughing about it because occasionally our different decision-making styles really don't complement each other. And so how would you, you know, when, uh, you know, we do have situations sometimes where my husband, who I've been married to for 25 years, we have, I think, for the most part, a really good marriage. We've got three kids. It's a fairly strong foundation we have, and we get along most of the time. But sometimes his procrastination on things that involve making decisions make me for five minutes, not want to be married to him anymore. So yes. um, how do I either help him through decision-making or do I not, do I just like deal with it? Hmm. Well, it's I know you're not a marriage said, therapist. You, you didn't think self-doubters would be irritating, but here you've clearly expressed okay. irritation. Self-doubters, except for maybe my husband, is right. irritating. <laughs> um, well, okay, so you've got different decision-making styles, and you're with this person. It's not like somebody you just bump into or stuck have with. to deal with for yeah. an afternoon or something. Right. Um, well, it must be working. A. Yeah, is what I it is say. for the most part. And if you're if you're decision-making styles were so completely different, you would not have let, probably even gotten to the point of getting engaged, much less <laughs> producing three children and being married for 25 years. So I think people's decision-making styles can complement each other. Somebody can be a kind of impulsive and their first choice is it and bang, they're sticking with it. And then the other person says, well, wait a minute, have you looked at these alternatives, which could be really important balance for the impulsive person. Mm -hmm. And yet the impulsive person can be an important balancer for the complete self-doubter. And I think a lot of it depends on how well you do know the other person and maybe setting up situations where you're going to be with, you're going to have the number of choices that will make both of you equally happy mm -hmm. or equally unhappy as the case may be. But do you, so for those of us listeners and yours truly, in situations, either work situations or personal situations, where we must coexist happily or try to coexist happily with a self-doubter. Yeah. How is there any way to either help them overcome it as an adult, say, like if you if you, if you're a person who and, na and nurture is the deal, this person was developed into a self-doubter over time and now this person's an adult. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you, as someone who, you know, works or lives with them, can do to help them? Absolutely. And, and I think one thing is to cut to the core, again, depending how well you know the person, of that self-doubt and kind of be that rational voice that says, whatever decision you make, you're going, you're going to do fine. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be, you, first of all, you can sort of contextualize it by saying this isn't the end of the world and so you pick the wrong thing for lunch it's really not going to matter in the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. and so that one is to be the voice of rationality but the other is to provide that baseline of support that the person didn't get and by that you help to instill confidence in in decisions that were made you can remind the person of good decisions that were made in the past mm. and say look you you chose green for your office instead of 
brown is the color and look at how happy you are and how how nice it looks good job and yes. and that's a kind of reinforcement then for somebody having made up their mind so instead of drawing attention to the times that they didn't make the right choice or their inability to make a choice you strengthen their confidence and their ability to make decent choices for themselves and that helps and that you can do that over time even when the person's an adult absolutely i mean the other thing you can do it might seem harsh but if you have no choice is you give somebody a time limit and and you <laughs> they they start to learn that somebody's going to give them time limits because maybe the other aspect of this is not that you're lacking confidence but that you just there's no you've never had any rush and you've never felt you had to rush and mm-hmm. there were never any conditions where not self-doubting created a bad bad outcome and so if you if you give people a little some parameters to work in and say look we're going to have to decide by the end of the day mm-hmm. and then we'll stick with it and then maybe the next time we have to decide by the end of the morning and shorten up that little time. And so they'll learn that with you, at least, decisions need to be made in a timely fashion. Okay. I'm afraid we're almost out of time, but I think I need to do a little one-on-one session with Susan offline someday <laughs> to talk about Because <laughs> I got to tell you, in my in my relationship with my husband, I've tried that time limit thing. Yeah. And, and it... Kind of only one of us hears the time limit. Oh dear, I know. So, but I think that might be. I did do a whole podcast on procrastinators, and so that dovetails a little bit with that. But, but before we go, Susan, any last words of advice for me or for self doubters? I guess, like, if you're a self doubter, Susan, what would you say to a self doubter who really struggles with this? I would say make a small decision that's not going to have a huge impact and watch and observe what happens. First of all, you can live with it. You'll find you can live with the decision. Second of all, you might find it felt good. Mm-hmm. Third of all, you might find you have irritated fewer people around you. Okay. So start small. So baby steps. Baby steps. And then you'll learn to walk. That is correct. And you can learn to walk <laughs> no matter where you're starting. Okay. Or how old you are. Exactly. Okay. Well, Susan Krauss Whitborn is a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Thank you so much, Susan, for that excellent advice. My pleasure, Kristen. That's it for this week's episode of I Want to Like You. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Our editor is Tim Einenkel. And Caitlin Peary helps me put together this podcast in the Real Simple offices. Please let us know what you think of the show. Our Twitter handle is at Real Simple, or you can tweet ideas for this podcast directly to me, at KVanOctrop. For more on irritating people like self-doubters and more, and how to handle them, go to realsimple.com. And of course, subscribe to us in iTunes. For Susan Krauss-Whitborn, I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. Thanks for joining us. 